0: Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows.
1: I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. And on today's show, we have a special guest with us today, Dr. Scott Kolbaba, medical doctor from the United States.
0: Scott, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. This is It's a, a pleasure. Yeah, and a pleasure for us. You're our first Skype caller or Skype guest. So this is uh, this is this is fun. Scott, can you tell us where
1: you're Skyping from this morning?
2: I'm Skyping from my office, uh, which is in Wheaton, Illinois, and it's about uh, 20 miles from Chicago. This is where I work, and this is where I live.
1: And Scott, I know some of these answers, but for our listeners, I'm going to ask you some questions. What type of medical doctor are you?
2: I'm a general internist. I've been doing this for 35 years, and I see all comers. So I'm just a primary care doc. I love what I'm doing, and I've, I've, uh, uh, I have a great practice. I love the patients that I take care of. Well, that
1: comes through very clearly in getting to know you as an author of your book, Physicians' Untold Stories, um, by Scott J. Kolbaba, MD, with 26 other physicians. So on the front of your book, Scott, at the top, you've written miraculous experiences doctors are hesitant to share with their patients or anyone. And on the bottom, it says discover the miracles in your life. And on the back of your book, you have a list of these 26 different physicians. And can you just begin by just telling us how you got together and why you got together with these physicians to create this book?
2: Well, you know, I had some strange experiences myself that I thought were coincidental or something else and they started they started to happen with some regularity and i thought this is really strange and then a couple doctors came to me with some really unusual stories that are in the book and i thought this is this is amazing i need to write some of these down and so i did and then you know doctors are like barbers they they have <laughs> patients that are in all professions so I have uh, ditch diggers and hospital presidents and, and uh, publicists and publishers and so forth. So I had a publisher that I take care of and I said, let's go out to lunch. I'd like to uh, tell you some stories to see if you think they have any worth if people would like these stories. So we were having lunch at a local restaurant and I was really hungry so I was looking down and eating <laughs> uh, and he was listening and, and I didn't look up for a while. And I, I told him a couple stories and I said, "What do you think?" And I looked up and he had tears in his eyes.
1: Aww, and yeah. so I
2: thought, I'm, you know, these these stories must be more more touching and moving than I than I realize. And he said to me, "You have to publish this book. Keep on getting stories." So I had about three or four stories at the time. And then I would go to the hospital lounge in the early morning, and any doctor that walked in would be <laughs> attacked by me. <laughs> and, I, and I'd say, "Do you have a story that you can't explain scientifically?" And lots of doctors did. So I accumulated, I interviewed roughly 200 doctors. Oh. And I accumulated a number of stories. And the stories that I, I, I used, I had, I had a strict criteria. Uh, the criteria was if I could get, if this story gave me goosebumps or made me tear up, <laughs> then I included it. If it didn't, it wasn't good enough. Oh, and I've I got love a large, large number of other stories, but, but the, the ones that made the book are, are the ones that really moved me
1: so the point uh, i mean i know there are lots of points scott because i read the book and um one of them was that you really wanted to create and um, really discuss and bring out for humans connectivity and that science isn't about um separating that it's about making sure that the physicians are a part of it
2: yes yes physicians are scientists and they rely on science to make their decisions and, and to do all the things that they do in, in, in uh, on their job. But there are things that doctors run into, that everyone runs into, but, but especially doctors, because they want to keep this scientific that they just can't explain.
1: So does it talk
2: about those things.
1: So does that kind of put you in conflict or do you like what kind of a process do you go through um to to just be open to that. Because so many people would say to Kelly and I, we're, we're open to what you do, but they're still science-based or they're still skeptical. So what did you kind of go through?
2: Well, there is a conflict. You know, uh, when you are a scientist, when you've learned the scientific method and you rely on science and, and evidence-based medicine, you, you are a little uncomfortable when you have something that you just simply can't explain. And... Uh, I realized that that virtually everyone has some of these some of these experiences or their family does or or someone that they are close to. And so I discovered that there are lots of doctors that have had these experiences too and they are a little bit in conflict too as, as to how to explain them. And I think eventually the doctors realize that there's something else out there and they explain it by saying, you know, there is a god. There's something out there that loves us unconditionally that that participates in our lives. And, and they can they can uh, they can answer that conflict by saying this is this is not scientific, but it, it exists and it's comforting to know that. And, and it's very comforting for the doctors and ultimately for the patients
0: mm-hmm. to
2: know that there's something else out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Scott, does it change the way that you speak to your colleagues since this book has come out?
2: You know, not that much. Uh, Most doctors are pretty superficial when they talk to each other and talk to patients. I was not expecting that. (laughs) And I hate to say that, but we don't get into this deep stuff. And it was very interesting when I when I would talk with the doctors that we we got into some very deep aspects of of their belief systems and and. I put that, as, there was a section in the book I called What I Learned from the Docs. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we just talk about serum potassiums and who had the gall surgery and what do you think about this particular spot in the lung? Do you think we should take it out or not take it out or mm-hmm. biopsy it or whatever? But we rarely get into this deep stuff about spirituality and God and, and the hereafter and, and, you know, when patients die, where do they go and can they come back and uh, all those kinds of things. And, and so... Uh, that's the stuff I dealt with in this book and when I got to talking with the docs, it was very we got into some deep conversations which we just don't do. And so I've I'm I'm back now pretty much to the superficial stuff. Okay. But I think we're we're getting we're making some progress and I think doctors are opening up a little bit more and more about talking about some of these things that are just amazing experiences. Mm-hmm.
1: Well it, Scott to me like you are a doctor of 35 years. So mm-hmm. to me, you're at that benchmark of what people look up to when they're going into that type of field for, for education, for lifestyle, and for profession. And so if these doctors are all coming forward in this book to say, we're going to shake it down from the top, then you pick the right group of people. Because sometimes what, what we hope for, I'll say is, as, as a patient is that compassion and that connectivity to the doctor so that I want you to trust your gut. I want you to, if you had a dream the night before, that you follow what the dream said. And I saw all kinds of evidence that doctors do do that
2: um, in your book. They do. Doctors do that. They don't often talk about it. And I think I was hoping that this book would open up that conversation between doctors and patients that both patients and doctors are hesitant to talk about and and when doctors reveal these these amazing experiences i think more and more doctors will become a little less anxious about sharing their their, those experiences and listening to patients experiences also
0: right oh this
1: was key in some of your stories yes so yeah and it it, to the point where it saved it saved lives and that's that's what i read in the book over and over again where it either saved Mm -hmm. a life or it changed a life. And one of the things I got from how you wrote the book is that it didn't just change your patient's life because you trusted your intuition or your your inner knowing. And I know like one of the doctors refers to it as his sixth sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but it changed the
2: doctors. Yes. Yeah. These stories, uh, these experiences, I should say, that the doctors had uh, changed their lives and, and brought them uh, closer to... What they consider the, um, uh, the, this force that uh, is above all of us, and most of them call it a God. Mm-hmm. And so I think these experiences uh, cause some of the doctors to really, really uh, uh, truly believe that there's something else out there, that there is a God.
0: Scott, I know we've mentioned how many years you've been in practice. When you came together with these physicians to hear all these stories and to publish this book, did it re energize you to be in your profession longer?
2: yes it did um, it it's it's fun to think there's uh, a, a, and rewarding to think that there's another aspect of medicine that mm-hmm. we don't commonly learn about in medical school we don't think about but when I heard these stories from so many doctors it was really exciting and and to um, uh, to realize that there's a different aspect of medicine and now that I, I I'm looking for these kinds of experiences and I think Lots of people have them. Yeah. and I'll frequently be, become late in my office hours because I'm, I'm telling these stories to patients. <laughs> and then they tell me stories back. Yeah, just as amazing and uh, that they never thought potentially were more than just a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And so it's fun to to open up that conversation. And uh, so I'm enjoying things, I think more now than I, than I did before, because there's another aspect of medicine that uh uh, you know we're not trained in
1: okay so i i just took the back of your book scott and Mm -hmm. just so that our listeners could um get a a rough idea because what we really want them to do is purchase physicians untold stories um but i just wanted to rhyme off a little bit of a list so we've got some general surgeons emergency Mm -hmm. medicine family practice interventional radiology cardiology ophthalmology Um, Infectious diseases, palliative care, general surgery, neurosurgery, obstetrics, gynecology. Mm -hmm. Um, What else here? I'm I'm hoping chiropractic.
0: I think, you know, I featured it as our, because I'm reading one book a month this year. And this was our featured book for May. So I had asked listeners and, and people who follow us to join me in that reading, uh, and it's laid out, and it's kind of, was it fair to say a chicken soup for the soul kind of format, Scott?
2: Yes, it is. It really is. Yeah, there are a couple of uh, sections in the book. One is the stories themselves. Yes. One is a large section of what I really learned about docs, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't know before. And one, uh, and then the last section are the uh, like, like one-page bio on each doc, mm-hmm. which is really more of a, a story, and, and there are some fascinating stories about the doctors escaping from oh. communist Cuba and uh, uh, Romania, communist mm-hmm. Romania, and being chased by secret service people and <laughs> things like that. So some of these doctors have had some amazing experiences
0: in their mm-hmm. lives.
2: And and it's all told in story format, which I think is more interesting than just, you know, uh, a, a different format versus a story.
0: Yeah, it's a very inviting read. And it, and I I mean easy in the sense that it's not intimidating academically. Uh, So for anyone who's picking it up, it's it's very uh, conversational almost. You know, that's what I hoped it
2: would be. Mm -hmm. It's very
0: it's an intimate read. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about backlash, if there has been any backlash that you've received since publishing this.
2: You know, we were all worried about that. All the docs and myself were worried about that. And I even had one duck that wanted to remain anonymous because he was afraid that he would be criticized. and all the ducks were a little bit afraid of of being criticized right. And um, we had the launch in september and and there was it was a nice uh, launch. We had a, a, a lot of people there, probably a thousand people. And it was such an exciting launch, and so um, uplifting. That and the doc, many of the docs were there for, for the launch that had contributed to the book. And the one doctor that had remained anonymous said, This is so exciting. I want to be part of this movement. Please tell people who I am. I don't want to be anonymous anymore. So there has been absolutely no backlash at all from myself or to the doctors. And, and everyone was concerned about that. And I, and I think, you know, the, the question is why, why would doctors that have a good, solid practice? that are doing well in life uh, financially uh, and and reward-wise and everything, why would they risk telling a story that's so amazing that they could be criticized for that? And I thought a lot about that and talked with the doctors as to what their motivation was, and I think I finally came up with the answer, and that is most docs, and I call them this in the the book, I call them sappy do-gooders. Most (laughs) doctors do something good all the time. They want to help someone. They want to cure the world. They want to do good things every day. And I think they recognize this book and these stories uh, uh, as, as a means of giving people hope that there's something else out there. There's something that loves them. And uh, they thought that this was more important than the potential risk of uh, damage to their practice from revealing these stories. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they're right. Scott, this this means a
1: lot to me personally. I won't speak on Kelly's behalf, um, but many people who know us in our practice know that as intuitives and as medical intuitives and as mediums, that we do get backlash, and that we do get attacked for using that part of our our humanness or our spiritual part of our lives. So, and quite often, it it's temp or or it's um what comes to us is that it's not science, it's not, and people say typically to us, that is not scientific, it's not provable, and we, uh, quite often I say, you're right, it it doesn't have to be science, but it is provable, but it is spiritual, it is still part of our humanness, so to hear that people of science are standing up on our side now, and saying, Please don't use that as the as the reason to attack our own humanness. And I don't just mean mine or Kelly's. I mean everyone's. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. this book reaches mm-hmm. out to say we're on one team as humans instead of two separate ones.
2: Yes, yes. And um, none of the doctors that I'm aware of have had any criticism for what they've done. As a matter of fact, they've had praise for bringing out some of the things that people, uh, patients have been afraid to talk, talk about to the, to the other patients, to their families, or to their doctors.
0: Right.
2: And so uh, I, I think this, I think the stories have done a lot of good in the, our local community and, and all over when people are reading the book, that, that um, I think people recognize, many people have had stories like this, or similar experiences or strange coincidences that they've been afraid to share. And I, I, I'm hopeful that this, but I think it has allowed them uh, to feel more comfortable about sharing those experiences.
1: Mm-hmm. So saying that, um, I, I wanted to to jump in now and talk about um, some of them. Um, okay. And actually, w- one of the first ones that I that I enjoyed and I thought was really good was, and I don't know how to pronounce his name, so I'm just going to begin. But it, it was the general, the Dr. David uh, Mokel or Mokul. Mokul. and yeah. the beautiful story about him coaching his two sons. Oh, in, that
2: was a story. Yeah. yeah,
1: in basketball, and how I really like that one as an intuitive because he's talking about he's he's a doctor, and the love of his life he is to coach his sons, <laughs> and in basketball in um, the church the church group and yes. what he sees in all of the other little kids on the team with his children i think this was a ground grade 7 and 8 is yes, that is that some of them are not very good and that but he sees um the defenseman has this sense of intuitiveness uh, like timing and he recognizes that this is his good quality this is something he's better at than the rest of the team and i really like that little aspect of it because intuition means that we're connecting to other people and on a mm-hmm. basketball team this is what we want because this is where teamwork is so important but i can't think of a better place than to say intuition is more important than in an or yeah yes yes when when you when when surgeons Doctors, nurses, cleaning staff, every single person, because I don't know all of them that are in that room, but I want to be, I want to be inclusive to every member of the team who cleans the room, preps the equipment, every single person is part of your team or it can't go right. And how the intuition amongst all of you is, is that spidery network where in order to have a successful surgery or procedure, you guys have to hum. You have to vibrate together like a choir or like an orchestra.
2: We're having a big uh, push now in our hospital uh, for safety. And it's interesting that one of the uh, characteristics and qualities that they want in every person on the team is to be, is to be able and, and willing to speak up. So when the surgeon comes in, uh, the uh, tech... Is not afraid to say, Doctor, I, I think there's a problem with this or that, and speak up because uh, those people sometimes will dis- will discover something that can be life life and death uh, has life and death implications. And if they didn't speak up, uh, something would fall through the cracks, and and there would be a serious serious problem. So. Every member of the team is important, and that's what our hospital is now trying to uh, uh, instill in, in every member of the team. That every member is important, and they ne- need to be connected to make something uh, as important as a surgical procedure successful.
1: That's wonderful, Scott. Can I ask you something? Like, it, like, um, do, do, do any of the hospitals that that you're aware of include? energy healers in any way or that aspect of healing and because i know I some hospitals are in like there are over 300 studies now um out over the internet where that type of healing is more inclusive have you had any experiences with that so far
2: not so far not so far i think we'll be getting into that more and more as the, as time goes on but i we i've I'm not at our hospital, and I'm not familiar with other hospitals using that.
0: Okay, okay, um, that that's that's good. I I don't know if this is even a, a worthy question, but you had mentioned before we started recording that you've done tons and tons of interviews at this point, and I'm really curious to see what you get out of those each time you speak to more and more people.
2: Uh, we've done a lot of interviews, we've done a lot of speaking, and. Um, It's fun and it's exciting to see how people react to this. And uh, I will frequently get stories that come back. I'll have people come and talk to me about how they were influenced. And one of the most touching things uh, happened to me just uh, last week. My daughter, uh, my last daughter, is graduating from from high school uh, this next Saturday. And so she had her last concert, her last choir concert uh, in our high school last week. And I felt a little emotional because this is my last, I've got seven kids, I'm not sure where they all came from, but I've got seven, some are adopted. And this is my last one to finish high school. And I just realized after 27 years at this high school, that we'll we'll never be to the high school again for an event that my kid is in. Mm -hmm. We've had kids in all kinds of things, football and basketball and whatever. Uh, choir, show show choir, et cetera. And so I was a little emotional. And a, a girl came up to me who was a junior, and she said, our English class is now reading a, reading books. And we were, we were brought a, a number of books by the librarian that were included in this reading list, and yours was one of them. And I was, Aww, I was be, really pleased. Yeah. I was actually surprised that, that they did include one of my books. And yeah. she said, I read your book, and I'm reading it right now, and i realize now that many of the coincidences i've had in my life may not be just coincidental wow. and that just touched me so much that i almost broke out in a tear when she said that it was just so that was i was hoping that this book would get people to realize that there's something else out there and that coincidences may not be coincidental and mm-hmm. it was such a reward for me to hear that so yeah. that's the kind of thing i get out of these talks and interviews that people come back to me and say i'm I'm learning something that I never realized before.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you find that your intention changes uh, from from speech to speech or interview to interview?
2: You know I try to tailor my interviews and my speeches toward the audience, so um, if it's a uh, uh, an audience that is very religious, I'll I'll emphasize some of the religious stories that I have, the prayers and so forth. Mm-hmm. And um, if it's more of a secular audience that wouldn't be as interested in that, I'll I'll do some other things. So, so I, I, I but the theme I think, and the general uh, what I'm trying to get across is is about the same. That there's something else out there. There is hope. People that have died can come back and help and and be mm-hmm. participating in our lives, and that there is a force out there, a God. That, that does uh, participate in our lives on a regular basis if we just believe and look for it.
0: Are you, sorry, sorry you, you go ahead. Are you hoping, Scott,
1: um, or is it in the, the range of your thinking that perhaps medical schools may be able to accept your book and encourage students of medicine to learn this?
2: I hope so, I hope so. I hope this, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that this will start some kind of a movement to get people to realize that there's more to medicine than just just drugs and, and uh, prescriptions, that uh, sometimes spirituality can be an important part and an important part of healing. And I think people are, people are doing studies about this, that you know, uh, I've heard stories about people praying for a particular person in an, emergency, in an ICU, for example, and, and, and not praying for another person. The one person they pray for seems to do better and, and things mm-hmm. like that. And so more and more studies are going on like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm hopeful that this will encourage uh, people to start talking more and and uh, discovering that there is more to medicine than just uh, a medicine.
0: Yeah, one of the stories that you uh, that you had included in the book, uh, if it's okay to talk about, was um, the one of the doctors who had experienced um, being frozen on a mountain. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I I'm going to summarize this, but he ends up surviving, obviously, and then one morning ends up in his office, I believe. Uh, yes. where um, was it a patient that approached the office early in the morning or was it a random person? I cannot recall.
2: This was a random person. Yes. This is Doc Mentenhall, who was almost frozen to death on a mountain when he developed pulmonary edema and couldn't get down and had to stay in the mountain where the rest of the troops uh, went, went down the mountain. And so he was rescued by, uh, he just happened to be rescued by a, a, a mounted policeman who is coming down off the mountain too. He just found him uh, mm-hmm. on the side of the mountain uh, in a sleeping bag. Uh, so he had a feeling this particular morning, about five years after this episode, that he needed to go to his office, and this was unusual. You know, a surgeon normally goes to the hospital first, makes his rounds, and then goes to the, makes his rounds, do surgery, whatever, and yeah. goes to the office afterwards. So he got up really early in the morning and went to the office about six o'clock in the morning. He had no idea why he was in the office. He just had this strong feeling to go to the office. So was we sitting there wondering what what he was doing, and all of a sudden there was this loud knock on the door. Now this is an office building that had lots of uh, lots of doors. It was like a shopping center kind of a thing, where there you know behind the office there are lots of doors leading to the to the alley, and and uh, he heard a loud knock on the door, ran to the door, and there was this individual, uh, a man who was, was just totally distraught, disheveled. He was, he was crying. He said, something awful as awful has happened to me. And, and Dr. Mendenhall, who's an orthopedic surgeon, is not trained in counseling or anything like that necessarily, yeah. said, come on in. Uh, I, you know, I, How can I help you? And he said, something terrible has just happened. My son just found frozen to death after he was camping and got lost uh, from his, his uh, group. And and the man was so distraught that he thought that he must have suffered badly from from this episode of freezing to death. And Dr. Mendenhall, who had experienced a near freezing to death experience, thought it was a very pleasant experience. After you know what happens when you freeze to death is you first get shivery, but after that uh, the shivering stops. It becomes very peaceful. You become very sleepy, and then fall asleep. And it's a very it's not a painful experience at all. Mm-hmm. So he knew exactly what to say to this poor, distraught individual, this man who had just lost his son. He said, uh, I want to tell you something that that uh, is important for you to know. I'm going to tell you that it's not painful to die freezing to death. I feel terrible that your son has died, but he did not suffer. I, I was involved with an episode where I almost froze out and it was very comfortable. I just closed my eyes and fell asleep, and he would, he did not suffer at all. And the man was much calmer after he mentioned that, and he hugged the, the Dr. Mendenhall and then left, left the building in a much uh, more comforting state, still obviously very distraught over the death of his son, but mm-hmm. his, his real concern was that his son suffered so much, and then he learned from Dr. Mendenhall that he really didn't. Dr. Mendenhall feels that he was directed to the office that morning just for this individual to help him get through a very difficult time.
1: You know, and some people would say that's his intuition. And some people would say that's God's hand, and that there are different terms for that energy um, that moves us as human beings, that compels us. And that's the semantics over the language, but that it's all the same source. Is that...
2: I think it is. And, you know, my goal is not to, to be uh, preaching uh, a particular particular religion. My goal is to yeah. have people realize there's something else out there that looks out for us and that directs us. And it can be an energy, it can be a force, whatever. Right. Most of the docs called it God. But uh, you can call it whatever you like. But there's something else out there that is comforting to know, especially when you have a world out there. That is a tough world to live in, where people are dying, mm-hmm. where family members die, where you get sick and have some serious illnesses, to know that there's something else uh, and and search for it. F- find it, find whatever it is that, that you believe in that is this force and that will help you.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I love that that one was included because I think when I sat down to to read it originally, I had this idea in my head that it was about doctors and it was about saving lives and that each story was going to end in an intuitive experience where the person lived. And when I read this one, I started thinking about what what um, our audience would think because we'd recommended it, that this wasn't, quote unquote, a good story because no one no one lived. But I, I just remembered that kind of that warm feeling at the end uh, that the doctor was able to comfort based on a personal experience, and it had nothing to do with profession. You could have taken the the doctor out right out of the story, and it could have been any person. Uh, but just yes. that that connectivity that we keep talking about that you were able to uh, provide so much relief to uh, a father in that moment, so that he could breathe again.
2: Yeah, in this in, the, in including the stories, I tried to avoid the typical uh, miraculous cures i Mm -hmm. think there's only one miraculous cure in the book Mm -hmm. i I think those generally tend to be not as interesting as the stories that i included and i also the reason i pick doctors because i I work with doctors all the time and I, i know doctors but i think people think of doctors as being more scientific than other uh, professions. Right. So, if these people who are scientific have these experiences, one should have be having these experiences mm-hmm. because I think doctors are a little more um, resistant, a little more uh, uh, anxious about accepting some of these uh, experiences and, than anyone else because they're scientists. And and when they do, then you know there's something there's something really happening out there.
1: I liked the story. About Doctor Tony, is it Altamari?
2: Altamari, yes. Altamari, a
1: general general surgeon, and and in that story, how he learned and how he loved touching people before surgery.
2: And you know, I've heard people tell me after reading the book, he he still does that, and people people love that. He told me that when he was a young boy, a a surgeon that he he required a surgery. I'm not sure what particular surgery it was, but he required a surgery. He remembers the surgeon touching his foot and and that touch just made him so comfortable that he there was something about that touch and he was so moved by that that every surgery that he does he will touch the person either the hand or his foot and hold on to it and i've had my patients say that was the most comforting thing and and, and made me so relaxed of that course. I was able to calm down before the surgery just by that touch.
0: Well, and, and I think for most people, you, you at that point don't feel like a patient. You feel like a person and that you yes. can put your trust in that other human that you are going to be cared for because there's a true feeling of, of
2: um, well, connection again. I th- I think that's right. I think that's right. And, you know, uh, when I After I talked with some of these doctors, these doctors are pretty tough doctors. You know, they have to put up with lots of bad things that, that they're dealing with. And you don't always see the side of, the, uh, side of them. And this was really an eye-opener to, to have a really dedicated but tough, tough doctor tell me some of these moving, touching experiences. And the other thing that happened to me with with, with him also was that we lost a patient that I, I think, was, was destined to, to leave the earth. I, there was nothing we could do. He had, had a complication from gallbladder surgery, had a heart attack, and then he died. Yeah. And when, when Dr. Altamari found that out, um, it was he was off for a couple of days. When he found that out, I saw him in the, hospital, the, the halls of the hospital, and he came up to me, and he had tears in his eyes. And I've not seen that before. And he said, what happened? And I loved that man. I loved him very much. And what happened to him? And I explained, you know, what the heart attack and so forth, and, and uh, that he that he died. It wasn't his fault at all. But um, to see that emotion was very, very uh, comforting to me. To know that they doctors care, doctors care a lot mm-hmm. about their patients. And they, you know, even though we lose patients all the time, we don't get hardened to that. We still uh, feel feel for that, and and we still have an emotion when 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 someone dies.
1: I think this is really important, Scott. I think it's it's a critical message because so many people <clears throat> excuse me, when they lose somebody can blame the doctor and want to sue mm-hmm. and they don't understand or in that those moments of feeling their grief and their pain are looking to to lash out sometimes to hurt because they're hurt. They don't see the physician as human.
2: That's right. That's right. And I think if physicians show their human side, they're less likely to feel that anger. And, and if a person, mm-hmm. if a doctor will say, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, we did everything we could, it looked mm-hmm. like there was this complication, I think people are less likely to, to uh, resort to a legal, legal means to, to uh, express their anger.
1: Mm-hmm. So Can we go to another story? Sure. Three-way phone call to heaven by Scott Kolbaba on page one twenty-three.
2: That was a that was an interesting uh, <laughs> uh, story. Yes. I was I was making rounds for my partner, uh, Dr. Boren, and uh, I was seeing uh, uh, one of his patients who had an asthma attack. And uh, it's interesting that Dr. Boren had seen her. You know, things always happen right when you're ready to leave on vacation or something. So he was <laughs> off this week and ready to leave. And they called him to the emergency room to see Sharon. And Sharon was having an asthma attack. And they were ready to send her home. And for some reason, Dr. Bourne felt a little uncomfortable about that and said, Let, let's just keep her. So he, he kept her overnight. And I was making rounds the next day. This is a Saturday and a Sunday. I was covering for him both days while he was gone. And I saw her on Saturday. and And she was... She was wheezy. She was doing better with her asthma attack. She uh, was living with her uh, daughter, who had dogs and cats, and she was allergic to dogs and cats. And so uh, I stopped her medication, and then the next day she was worse. So I thought, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have stopped some of the medications. Maybe I should restart them. And so when I went in to see her in the room, she was on the phone. And you know, most patients, when the doc when the doctor walks in, they'll <laughs> hang up and say, I've got go to I've got to go. The doctor's here, you know, and and. and Uh, that's really nice when patients do that, but it's not really necessary, but she kept on the phone and I, I didn't know quite what to do. So I sat down and I was kind of fidgeting because, you know, she's on the phone and I'm not sure what to do with myself. And then she closed (laughs) her eyes and listened for the longest time. And I was really uncomfortable then. I was kind of sitting on my hands and, you know, you don't know where to put your hands. And, and, and so it was kind of a funny thing. And I, I began to think. For some reason, at, at that time, when she her eyes were closed, I, I began to think, well, you know, I wonder if there's something else that she could have besides her asthma attack. No, no, it doesn't make any sense. And, well, maybe, maybe I should do some additional testing. Oh no, it's just an asthma attack. And I'd go back and forth like that. And then finally, I, I decided this. There might be something else going on here. Maybe I should do some additional testing. And then she hung up and, and I examined her and then went down to the nurse's station and ordered a test called the D dimer. A D dimer is a test for blood clots. Uh, when blood clots are dissolving in the body somewhere, the D dimer is, is elevated. And so about, a, about two hours later, I got a phone call. The D, normal D dimer in our lab is about 300, hers was 1,800. So I thought, oh no, we need to get us an emergency lung scan because she could have blood clots in her lungs. And sure enough, the lung scan came back positive. There are multiple pulmonary emboli in her lungs. Hmm. And I called her up and I said, we've got to move you to the uh, semi-step uh, down unit to where you can you can be monitored. You've got blood clots in your lungs. And she said, uh, I I uh, I knew you would come up with the answer. And I and I said, well, why is that? And she said, well. When I was in, in the room, and my, my eyes closed, there was my minister on the phone he was praying. And he was praying at the very time that you were thinking about things that the doctors would come up with an answer for my illness and they would be able to help me today. And I said, oh my goodness. And so uh, I think there was some divine inspiration there while I was sitting and, and she was praying for me to come up with the right answer. And we did, and, and uh, after we treated her for a blood clot, she was fine in a couple of days and went home.
0: Imagine that. So it was an
2: interesting experience. Mm-hmm. I called it a three-way conversation with heaven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I really liked that one, Scott, um, because, and, and, and I could really relate to it. I felt connected when I read that story um, in the way that you connected to her and the mm-hmm. way that you connected to w- the prayer or whatever whatever— God, whatever people want to put in the triangle, mm-hmm. where the three of you became the team that yes. that cared for the common goal.
2: Mm-hmm. I think the other bottom line on that one is uh, there's a little voice sometimes in the back of your head, and my my partner will frequently say that I if I if I listen to that little voice that never never steers me in the wrong direction,
0: mm-hmm. and that's
2: the kind of little thing I I had a little hunch there that I pursued. And thank goodness I did.
0: Mm -hmm. The part that I love about this story, and maybe it's kind of odd to to pick this one, but is that even just the way that you tell your stories, Scott, that you you sit uncomfortably, uh, or that you, you know, you sit on your hands, and you don't know what to do with yourself. There's a willingness to sit in the discomfort when you don't have an answer in order to get to it. Because I think so many people are unwilling to sit in the discomfort that they want to rush something if it seems sensible at the time or to just have an answer just for the sake of having one, even if it's not the right one.
2: I think we get used to that discomfort because there are many things we can't explain right away. And it's very uncomfortable for me to have a patient come in either the hospital or the office and, and I go through their history and exam and do this, do some testing and and don't come up with with the answer, mm-hmm. and it's 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 really um, uh, that gnaws on you, and that's one of the, it's it's something I don't so one thing I don't like in medicine, you like to have the answers all the time and mm-hmm. right away, and it's always humbling to to realize that you don't have all the answers, and and uh, you know, sometimes the answers will come though in a, in a couple of days or something. I I had one patient who uh, called me from. Uh, uh, Arkansas, Alabama, one of the southern states where he was visiting, and it sounded like he had a gallbladder attack, so I sent him to the emergency room with right upper quadrant abdominal pain, nausea, and the uh, ER doc called me a couple hours later and said, it sounds like a gallbladder attack, but the gallbladder ultrasound was normal, and the labs were all normal, and so I said, well, when you come back to, to town, come on in, and, and I'll, I'll see you, and he, a couple days later, I saw him in the office, and sure enough, it sounded just like gallbladder, right upper quadrant abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and uh, it wasn't getting any better and i was you know really uncomfortable because they did some nice tests in, in this southern hospital that he, he was at and so i did some fancier tests uh, fancier gallbladder studies and additional blood work and so forth and it's all perfectly normal and i really felt very uncomfortable but not not knowing what the cause of his his problem was mm-hmm. and i woke up a couple of days later with the strong feeling that we need, he needed a lung scan now, it didn't make a lot of sense because he had abdominal pain and nausea, not so much any lung issues, mm-hmm. but I couldn't get that feeling out of my mind. So I called him up about 7 o'clock in the morning, which is unusual for me to do that. I usually wait till I get to the office and have my nurse make the arrangements and so forth. So I said, uh, Taylor, you need to have a lung scan. I, I've, I'm, I'm feeling that you need to have that done today. He said, well, I can't have it today because I'm flying out to Denver. I've got a business meeting and, and so forth. And I said, well, when's your flight? He said, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, if I can get the lung scan in before you're, you know, before 10, you'd still be able to make it, wouldn't you? And he said, yeah. And he said, would, would you go for that? And there was a long silence at the end of the line. And he finally said yes. So I called the hospital, arranged for the lung scan. They said, just send him right over. If, you know, If he needs an emergency lung scan, send him over. So about an hour later, I got a call from the radiologist. And he said, That's a great call, Scott. How'd you think of a lung scan? I said, I don't know why. He said he has a massive pulmonary embolus on the sitting on his diaphragm, which mm-hmm. is why he had abdominal pain and not uh, chest pain. Mm-hmm. It was a good call. Had you sent him had he had you missed this and he had gone out to Denver, he probably would have died with a uh, pulmonary embolus.
0: Do you so feel sorry.
2: You you live in that discomfort for a few days and, yeah. and uh, I don't know if it was divine intervention, coincidence or what, that led me to, to come up with that idea of a lung scan. But uh, I, I think it saved his life.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I know you mentioned at the beginning of this that your criteria for stories when you were interviewing different doctors was goosebumps. Do you feel them for your own self at the time that you know these stories are happening? Or is it looking back?
2: <laughs> you know, it's just looking back because when you're living in a story, mm-hmm. You don't realize necessarily that it is something that's uh, special or unusual. You just you're just living in this in the story, and then when you look mm-hmm. back, you realize, wow, this was something. This was a divine hand that led me to this particular diagnosis or whatever. And so it's not. I, I don't think I I've never felt it living the experience, but afterwards you you get some goosebumps or or mm-hmm. tear up. And I when I write these stories, I, I frequently. And sitting at the computer with tears streaming down <laughs> my eyes this is a great story this is an unusual thing <laughs> yeah. uh, i really feel i'm embarrassed to, to admit that but but even now when i tell some of these stories and i've told these stories lots of times i still get a little emotional sometimes yeah. these stories are so powerful and so moving mm-hmm. that and they're not necessarily uh, sad they're just they're emotional mm-hmm.
1: scott do you feel that it came with age that you could that you came to learn to balance trusting the that that your gut telling you different things or that voice in your head that you're referring to um, with the clinical side that said this is the procedure and if you have to jump outside of what um, procedure would say that you learn to trust that does that come with experience
2: i think it does i think it does i think uh, the more gray hairs you have the more likely you are to believe that there's that you can't solve every problem with, uh, with medicine necessarily. And, and there are other things that happen that, that you need to pay attention to and a little voice in the back of your head that sometimes will give you the answer uh, that you didn't realize uh, you could solve. So I, I think it does come with, with experience. And, and lots of the stories are written or, or told by doctors that had been in practice for a while and had experience yeah. with medicine in general.
0: So I know I asked you the question to, if it had changed the way that you speak to your colleagues, but I would also like to ask you if it changes the way that you speak to, listen to, and ask questions to your patients.
2: I think it does, and I think my patients uh, many of my patients have read the book and, and and I think they're a little more open about sharing some of their uh, spiritual side, so it, it does it does change and and some Many of them come to me with their own stories. Uh, I've had some, some wonderful stories. Uh, there was a, one of my patients um, told me the other day that uh, he uh, uh, was trying to get his daughter into an uh, uh, internship in New York, and he couldn't afford the apartments in downtown New York. They were very expensive. This is a three-month internship. And so one night, he had a dream about a fellow that he'd, uh, been a friend, he'd befriended maybe 20 years before and hadn't talked with him for that length of time. And the next day, the friend called him, and he said to him, uh, I've been very successful. I just want to let you know, you know, what's happening to me. We were friends a long time ago, and I've I've had a business. I've been very successful in my business. I live in downtown New York in a large apartment, and I'm really quite quite lonely. I've got a three-bedroom apartment right in downtown. And he said, uh, my, "My my patient said, you know, my daughter's looking for an apartment to stay in, do you think she might be able to stay in with you? And he said, absolutely, I'd love to have some company. She can have a whole bedroom by herself. I'll I'll provide all the food and everything else, and and we'll have a grand time. And sure, that worked out. And so he thought that was just a coincidence, but after hearing some of the stories in in the book, he realized that it probably wasn't just a coincidence, that something else was working here to to have his daughter be able to to fulfill this internship and and progress in her school. Mm
1: Scott? Scott? On page one oh seven.
0: She's so cute. She's got the book open right now. I'm going to seven here. Uh, Family Connections, chapter
1: twenty-one. This is the story of our anonymous doctor who yes. who talks yes. about April and Beth, his two sisters. Yes. C- can you elaborate a little bit more? Because I liked this one too. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: This is John Kowalski, who doesn't mind me telling his name. He's an anesthesiologist at CDH, and he wants to be part of the—he's uh, he's regretting being anonymous. Welcome, John. And, uh, That's why I asked about him, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, uh, he was having—he uh, didn't realize it, but uh, he, he talks about his sisters being connected with him in strange and unusual ways. His whole family, he, he thought, was connected in a different way than— than most families are connected. And, and maybe he was, and maybe maybe they aren't. Uh, maybe other families are connected like this too, but he was, uh, and doctors, when things happen to doctors, they kind of deny, that. <laughs> doctors think they're, they're, uh, they're uh, invincible. And so he was having a stroke and didn't realize uh, the implication of that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what was happening, uh, was he was having some difficulty with his speech, difficulty moving one part of his body, and he was just sitting there doing nothing, and all of a sudden he got a text from his sister, mm-hmm. and this uh, and and he never got a text from his sister ever before, and she said, "I was thinking about you. I thought there was something important I needed to to talk with you about, and um, and I just wanted to to text you, and and that was the end of that text, and then oh, about I, one she minute said, later, I love you. yeah, uh, April." She, April texted him again and said, uh, "I love you."
0: Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. and that made made him realize that he was really loved and needed, and that maybe he should really do something. So he went to talk with his wife, and eventually they got connected up with the with the uh, went to the emergency room. They realized he had a, was having a stroke and got medication to help reverse the the stroke, and probably substantially saved some of the brain tissue and brain cells so that uh, he uh, was left with no awakeness or paralysis at all. And he late he, the next day, asked his, his sister why she texted him. and she, she, she told him he had, she had this overwhelming urge that she needed to text him and make sure that he was okay, that there was something happening. And so that's why she did that. And, and so you wonder how, how people are connected sometimes in mm-hmm. strange and unusual ways.
0: And I love that uh, however people choose to uh, envision this story, maybe it's a good way of saying it, that whatever energy that is that connects us reaches out to just the right person that makes us feel like, OK, yep, I should get up and do something versus, mm. you know, just someone in passing who says, hey, just thinking of you where it's just not enough, you know,
2: right, right. Yeah, this this was a, a very loving relationship. And uh, he also uh, has had connections with his mother that he couldn't explain. And, and he tells me that uh, this is not in the book, but, but uh, his mother loved a certain number. I think it was number 22. And after she died, uh, there were a whole series of events involving the number 22. He'd reach into his pocket and there'd be a a dollar bill with the number 22 written on it. He'd go to a hotel, and, and he'd be given room number 22, and he'd take an elevator to the 22nd floor, and, yeah. and, and multiple, yeah. multiple things like that. And he's convinced that, that uh, this is a way of his mother you know, reaching out to him and letting him know that she's okay and that uh, she's thinking of him.
0: Aww. She's not going anywhere. <laughs> she's still watching out for her boy.
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, Scott, I want to respect your time. And I, I know we're we're kind of approaching the hour mark. Uh, but I, I do want to ask you, is there a next step after after publishing? Is there another goal or another intention with these stories?
2: You know, I've always got crazy goals. I'm I'm one of these people <laughs> that that's up in the clouds. My wife says I need to keep you grounded sometimes. And I've got a few kids that are like that, too. Yeah. Uh, the next goal is what I'd, what I'd love to do is, is I'm, I'm on doing some speaking engagements now. And those are really fun and rewarding because I think we can influence people for the good that realize that there's something else and gives them a warm sense that there, there's something else in the world here that, that will help them. And so I'm, I'm doing speaking engagements. I'm looking at another book. Um, I'm thinking that maybe nursing would be a great book. Yeah. Uh, Nurses' Untold Stories would be a great book. And I'm starting to accumulate other stories from other doctors, people write in. So if you have anyone listening has a story, I'd love to have you go to my website, physiciansuntoldstories.com, and let me know what it is and we could we can contact you. And then um uh I'd just like to get the word out and and start a movement that there is something else out there that doctors recognize. Thank mm. you. I
0: think that's you. wonderful that you're starting different kinds of conversations.
1: Mm-hmm. And And what a great way to do it, Scott, by just sharing the stories so that people can find their own way to their that aspect of themselves.
2: That's exactly what I hope would happen I'm, i you Go know ahead. these are just a whole series of stories, and you can make them to be whatever you want but but when you when you read them you will realize that coincidences are more than just coincidental in many cases, that people who have left us can communicate with us uh, and, and look out for us in many cases, that there is some force uh, of, above all of us There's a higher power that does love us, that looks out for us, and it will help us in strange and unusual ways when we decide to do something worthwhile in some major project that we're involved with there will be there will be doors that open up in unusual ways and coincidences that happen that we never realized before and if i can get that across that's my goal
0: well if we can be a platform for you in the future please don't hesitate to to call back we'd love to have you again yeah absolutely scott
2: that's great. Thank you very much, Kelly yeah. and Karen.
0: And we will uh, we'll post your website up when, we, when the podcast airs so that people can go directly to it if, they, if they've, well, if they've all got stories. So if they're being brave enough, um, they'll go share them with you. Okay.
2: That's great. That's Wonderful. Great.
0: Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, that was a ton of fun with Scott and, and Karen with yourself as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, as always we invite you as listeners if you have questions or comments about today's show you can email us at info at and we hope you have a wonderful weekend